Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. As always, you can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. You can also find us on Instagram and wherever you get your podcasts. Well, the WTA season has come to a conclusion in Shenzhen, and we saw Ashley Barty prevailing in Paris. The final Masters 1000 of the season wrapped up, and Novak Djokovic got his hands on his fifth title there. We have special guest Canadian tennis player Francois Zabanda, who played in the Tevlin Challenger right here in Toronto. And we also speak with Mike Tevlin. Him and his wife, Nicole, began the event 14 years ago. Uh, but Mike, obviously the biggest event, uh, at least to me, this past week, WTA Finals. And uh, a debut for Bianca Andreescu. Unbelievable that she was amongst the top eight. And uh, Ashley Barty, I-, I think a very worthy champion, given uh, really a tremendous season she's had. Yeah, everything's kind of coming to a head here now, and we're we're halfway uh, completed with the WTA now wrapping up, and the ATP just about there. But to focus on the women to start, Ashley Barty definitely, to me, has proven that she is the number one for good reason with her six three six four victory over last year's champion Alina Svitolina. So to me, that was uh, very fitting, and she beat everyone she faced except for, oddly enough, uh, a last minute kind of throw in in Kiki Burdens. But what a season for Ashley Barty, who really, uh, you know, came out with not just the the French Open title, but she won titles on all surfaces this year. And, of course, the big ones other than Roland Garros was uh, Miami and now the WTA Finals. So a great way to cap the season for her. And uh, as you mentioned, Bianca Andreescu, when we think about where she was just 12 months ago, uh, I think we've run out of adjectives to describe how the 19-year-old has ascended to the top of the women's game this year. Yeah, it's been uh, simply spectacular. And uh, we were treated to really a great match to start in the WTA finals in the round robin play. Bianca getting that opportunity to play her idol, of course, with uh, sharing that Romanian blood facing Simona Halep. And and they really did play a thrilling match. Uh, Andreescu had a look at set point, uh, could have won that in two sets, but Halep rallied and and competed so well as she often does and came back to to beat Bianca Andreescu. And and then Andreescu had an issue with her knee, which uh, cropped up in her match to Carolina Pliskova, and that was the end of her season. Uh, so hopefully a lengthy offseason for Andrescu. We hope the knee isn't a problem, but of course, simply a phenomenal season. As you mentioned, Ashley Barty, and she's finishing world number one. I think when people want to see and and we get that here is certainly a worthy end of year number one and probably probably if i'm looking at two players uh from the 2019 wta season in terms of who had the best year i I think it's between barty and bianca yeah i uh, think that'd be hard to argue against for sure and uh you know when you look at all the top eight that were there they were really the eight that that belonged there uh between winning grand slams being winning big titles there was a, a, quite a gap, really, when you got past those eight, along with maybe Serena Williams, who you know likely could have been there. She had played more, and Kiki Burdens was close. But after those ones, there was quite a drop of at least 1,500 points between the world uh, number 10. So clearly, uh, the women that were there absolutely belonged. And uh, though it was disappointing to see Bianca's season end uh, the way it did with injuries, uh, it doesn't take away from the absolutely incredible results that she achieved. Uh, highest ever Canadian female tennis player at number four. First Grand Slam singles uh, victory for our country as well. Just incredible. And, you know, Halloween was just a few days ago. And I don't know about you, but I was really impressed with the number of Bianca Andreescu uh, costumes that were out there on Instagram, on Twitter. And if that isn't an indicator of how much she has sort of uh, sparked an interest in tennis in our country, then uh, then I don't know what else is. Yeah, that's a that's a great example. Uh, obviously, she has inspired a nation with her phenomenal season, and uh, maybe those wondering what's in store for 2020. Uh, sure, she will have plenty of points to defend at certain spots, but she also missed a good chunk of the season. Uh, She didn't really properly play the French Open. She got hurt after one match there, and she missed all of the grass court season. So there are many opportunities to to see Bianca, what she's made of on on a couple of other surfaces, Uh, one in clay, which she's expressed that she loves, and uh, we're just hoping for a very healthy season in 2020, and and I think the rest and recovery will uh, do her well. Uh, Unfortunate in a sense, this past week at the WTA finals, uh, that injuries were so prevalent. I, I mean, we lost 
four players to injury. Osaka went down after one match. Kiki Burton's had a stomach issue, and she was just a fill-in, so she played one match and then tried to play again but had that stomach issue. And Belinda Bencic also had injury issues. And uh, again, that's kind of raising the topic of the scheduling and the length of season, uh, not just on the WTA, on the men's side as well, uh, that you have to wonder, is the season just pushing on too long, especially given how elite these athletes perform at the level they compete at and and what it's going to do to their bodies over time? I feel like this debate has gone on too long almost because it's like a recurring theme year after year, Mm. uh, and that doesn't make it any less true. It's just, you know, honestly, what can be done about it? Because, We've always talked about how tennis, compared to most sports, goes on seemingly forever. Uh, there is no off-season, really, truly, when you think about it. Players might get a week or two off, and then they're back to hardcore uh, training to get ready for the next season. And I don't know what the answer is, because what tournament is going to be willing to concede its spot on the calendar? Mm-hmm. What tournaments are going to want to be lumped in with others if you shorten the season and, and put you know five or six tournaments a week instead of two or three? then you're going to get diluted talent pools and no tournament organizer or sponsors is going to want that. I mean, sponsors want their name out there as much as they possibly can. Uh, So 11 out of 12 months of the year is is better for them. And then if you look at the whole players inside the top 100 versus players outside the top 100, they each have their own motivation to keep going. I mean, if you're outside of the top 100 in the world, they, they need all the events they can get to get ranking points, to get just whatever money they can scrounge up to make their season a a break-even scenario even. And then if you're in the top 100, you want to maintain position. You also want to, uh, you know, increase your your financial gains as as much as you can because you never know with injuries and whatnot when things might uh, come to an abrupt close. So it's a tough call. I I, I think it's needed in terms of, obviously, the health of these players as we see so many breaking down late in the year. But, Ben, I... I don't know realistically what can be done about this. Yeah, and you consider the number of investors and shareholders who are relying on certain tournaments happening. The WTA made a big push to to come into China years ago, and that's a huge part of an investment, uh, getting tennis in that country. So you don't want to take that away. You shouldn't have a choice of taking away tennis from from the Asian swing later in the season. You wonder if you can do kind of a restructuring maybe earlier in the year where maybe players get, say, more of a break on a transition from clay to grass. You think of how immediate Wimbledon comes after the French Open. That's a pretty short, you know, training block that players have, and and there's a quick turnover after the second Grand Slam of the season. Uh, And, yeah, as you said, it's difficult for for players outside of the top 100. They need to keep playing events uh, just to break even or or get some money in the bank. They want those opportunities late in the season if maybe they're finally feeling healthy and and good to go uh, to be able to play some more. We saw it on the men's side this week as well. We'll get to that later but Rafael Nadal having injury issues. Uh, So it is unfortunate. I'm not sure anything can be done or will be done. But uh, again, it is a topic that has reared its head. And uh, on a hard court indoor surface, uh, like we saw in Shenzhen, uh, the bodies were breaking down. So I'm in a way thankful that the WTA season has officially wrapped up, really. Yeah, one one thing that's just coming to mind is, I mean, if, if players felt less pressured, financially pressured to play as much as they possibly could, if we could get, you know, what players like Vashik Pospisil are calling for, which is tournaments to share a bigger percentage of their revenues, mm-hmm. if players could make more money, those especially outside of the top 100, uh, at the stops they make, they, they wouldn't feel compelled to enter so many tournaments. So I think, you know, and salaries have come a long way, tournament revenues uh, and, and player uh, percentages have grown, but I still think there's a bigger piece of the pie that could be distributed and perhaps that would help some players play more of a reasonable schedule throughout the year as opposed to trying to burn themselves out by the end of November, beginning of December. Yeah, you're certainly correct. Uh, We did see a big chunk of that change coming out of the WTA Finals. It was record-setting, the most in WTA history in terms of prize money, $4.45 million awarded to winner Ashley Barty, which is uh, terrific, and the purse there was huge. And so Barty actually finishing with over $11 million uh, in her season winnings, which is fantastic. Over on the doubles side, uh, the top seeds, Timmy Ababos and Kristina Vladenovic captured the win, uh, 6-1, 6-3 over the number two seeds, uh, Sue Say and Barbara Stritskova. Uh, so we have the number one in both singles and doubles prevailing, uh, which 
which really is fitting. And then you look at Gabby Dabrowski playing alongside Julie Zhu. Unfortunately, they lost their first two round robin matches. Uh, that put them out of contention. They did salvage a win over Stritzkova and say at the end of the season. But uh, overall, I think a strong year from from our doubles specialist, Gabby, and her partner, Julie Zhu. And Dabrowski is finishing this season inside uh, the top 10 in doubles, which is great. Yeah, Gabby has really solidified herself at the top of the women's doubles game, as we've said before, and this is three straight years at the WTA Finals. But to, uh, you know, offer a critique of sorts, never pass the round robin. So I just wonder what's it going to take for that duo, her and Julie Zhu, to, to get past that stage. Mm-hmm. And uh, part of me wonders uh, how much longer that partnership will potentially stay together. I know uh, Julie Zhu is a little bit older, and when I spoke with Gabby um, back around uh, Easter time in, uh, earlier this season, she kind of mentioned that uh, she wasn't sure, uh, not that she gave any reason to doubt it, but she didn't say anything super solidifying that they would go, you know, necessarily beyond this year. It was more of a wait-and-see kind of approach. And uh, while she does want to get in to play the, the 2020 uh, Tokyo Olympics in doubles, uh, clearly with a Canadian partner, uh, I just wonder if there's going to be at some point a, a change for her in terms of partners. Not to mention, let's remember that she does want to start focusing or has mentioned she'd like to focus a little bit more on her singles game too. And maybe that's something where a consistent doubles partner might say, well, hey, if you're going to be half and half, maybe I'll go find someone else too. Yeah, that's that's a good point. It, it should be noted just a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago at the uh, Kremlin Cup, uh, Gabby Dabrowski was playing alongside uh, Katarina Siniakova, who is the seventh ranked doubles player in the world and is a fantastic doubles player. Uh, another player who has ambitions in singles, but has been pushing, pushing at the past couple seasons in doubles because she's had so, so much success. So I wonder if that could be a potential partnership. You never know. Uh, but, of course, Siniakova was also in the WTA Finals here uh, playing with Krejcikova, who's also from the Czech Republic. So I don't know if that's an opening there, but we will see what's in store for 2020. You're listening to Matchpoint Canada. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. We will go over to the men's side because we had the last Masters 1000 of the season. And... Not unexpected who won the title, but unexpected who we saw alongside him in the final. Novak Djokovic won his fifth title there in Paris, 34th overall Masters 1000, and defeated Canadian Denis Shapovalov in straight sets. Uh, Obviously, you know, maybe a slight asterisk in the sense that Shapovalov did get a walkover in his semifinal, uh, did not have to face Rafael Nadal, but we are really seeing the best of Denis late into this season uh, has just completely completely turned it around uh, since Wimbledon and since Rogers Cup, really. Yeah, and that victory in Stockholm where he won his first ATP title, I think that mentally must have been so good for him. That semifinal losing streak is over, which, as we mentioned last week or the week before, still pretty awesome that by the age of 20 he had been in seven ATP semifinals. And now we look at the fact he's been in the semis or better at four different Masters 1000s at, at such a tender age is really impressive on different surfaces as well. And, you know, it's time to give some credit to Denis Shapovalov and and how quickly we see that the narrative can change in tennis because a lot of people, I think, were starting to get a little down on him and felt like he stagnated. And, yeah, he was going through a bit of a lull, which I think we can uh, certainly justify being so young and dealing with so many changes all at once. But, you know, one change that's worked out well for him is getting Mikhail Yuzhny on board as a, a part of his coaching staff. That really seems to have gelled between the two of them. And, uh, and for, for Chapo, I think, uh, hey, he's silenced the critics and maybe given uh, any critics here in Canada uh, some reason to pause and reflect because look at all the pressure that got put on Jeannie Bouchard at mm-hmm. a very young age. Let's just allow these athletes to, uh, you know, work out their, their growing pains uh, on tour, appreciate all the positives that we have and not put any sort of timetable on that development because if we look at the big picture, for the last three seasons now for Dennis already, uh, he's done remarkably well, in my opinion. Yeah, he, he's been fantastic. It kind of shows you in tennis how quickly things can turn on a dime. Even after, say, a stretch of three, four, five bad tournaments in a row, you really can turn your season around. Because I remember a few months ago, uh, he was you know looming around almost that 40 ranking at 38, and now just this incredible surge, and he finds himself 15th in the world. And uh, you know he didn't have to play Rafael Nadal in that semifinal, but he had to beat... 
a lot of great players to get to that semifinal to begin with. You see first uh, beating Fabio Fanini in three sets, uh, finally got his first win over Sasha Zverev, which is a great win, and then just completely blew Gael Monfils off the court. So those are three quality top 15 players, uh, one top 10 in, in Sasha Zverev. So three really quality wins. And then, of course, we, we know the buzzsaw that Novak Djokovic is, especially on a hard court, and he seems to have found his top level of tennis and, and kind of won in a routine final 6-3, 6-4. Uh, for those who watched the match, it, it wasn't particularly exciting, more of a server's affair, and, and Dennis just couldn't really get into any of uh, Novak's service games. He won uh, only 10 points on return for the full match. Uh, so obviously, there is still a gap between, as we know, the big three and everybody else, but uh, Dennis is closing that gap maybe amongst the rest of the players and trying to enter that next tier uh, where maybe top 10 could be a goal for next season. Yeah, and, and although he's not now playing in the uh, ATP Next Gen Finals, wisely decided to uh, skip that one to rest up because uh, Davis Cup is coming up soon and he's going to factor in in such a key role for Canada given the way he's been playing now. I mean, he's a lock for singles. Who knows, might see some doubles action as well. But to me, he's the number one guy in singles for us at the moment given his uh, really fantastic play of late. Um, but uh, look at how many people struggle against Novak Djokovic. I mean, come on, that's... Uh, that's no slouch over there. No, Novak, since Wimbledon of 2018, just absolutely fantastic stuff. And uh, it's going to be really interesting to me to see how the year-end number one plays out. Uh, if Rafa is healthy and ready to go for the ATP finals, it, it could be quite the battle, I would imagine, between these two uh, big guns. Yeah, now Rafael Nadal did take over the number one ranking as of this Monday, which is uh, today as we record this episode, and 600 points separate the two. Uh, but Nadal hurting his uh, abdominal muscle in warm-ups before that scheduled match with Denis Shapovalov, and he has really had no luck whatsoever at the ATP Finals in London. Uh, this surface indoor hardcourt has always given him the most trouble in his career, and then health-wise has just always been a problem on his body. So I'm wondering if he's able, even able to compete. I, I think honestly I'd give it less than a 50% chance if he has about seven to eight days to, to prepare so if he's not there uh, certainly Novak basically a lock to uh, finish with the end of year number one ranking if he can recover in time then it becomes different and it's almost like pressure is on Novak to basically go out and win the thing uh, because Nadal I would imagine if healthy could get through his round robin group but uh, look Roger Federer I think might be somewhat of the forgotten entity here he was playing such fantastic tennis in Basel just a couple weeks ago and he looks really fresh we know what Daniel Medvedev has done in the tail end of his season Dominic Team playing much better on hard courts um, and we've had a couple, a couple of surprise winners the past couple of years at the ATP Finals. Zverev, Grigor Dimitrov, uh, that it's by no means a lock that Novak is going to take this to finish the year. Yeah, no, I was going to say the same thing, that the past two years have been kind of uh, surprise winners in a sense, especially Dimitrov, although he was playing some pretty good ball back then, and uh, he had a nice little bounce-back season at times in 2019 too. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, who knows what we're going to get. I, I don't want to see Rafa play unless he's you know at 100%. Maybe that's asking too much. Uh, you know, he's got to be at least at, at a high percentage yeah. for, for him. Uh, I don't want to see him uh, risk that injury. I don't want to see him go out there kind of limping either. Uh, and you know what? Let's be honest. End of year number one in the grand scheme of things, although there's many players out there who would love to be able to fight for that opportunity. I think when it comes to Novak, Rafa, and even Roger in the past to some extent, what really matters to these guys is slams, and they want to be ready for Australia for Melbourne in January, which really isn't going to be that far away. And, uh, and I think that's the most pressing thing for these guys. This one, I think, can be put on a, a tier a little bit lower than uh, the majors. Yes, uh, you're certainly correct. And I, I should mention Matteo Bertini grabbing that eighth and final spot. And it ended up being uh, a very close race at the end. Guy Monfils needed a win over Denis Shapovalov, but the Canadian played spoiler for him. And Bertini, who's had a, a nice second half to his season, the semifinals at the U.S. Open, the Italian will make that final spot in London. As you mentioned, the next-gen finals, uh, Denis Shapovalov citing fatigue will not be there, but uh, it is set to go this week, and I'll just quickly run down our two groups. We have Group A, Alex Diemenauer, Kasper Ruud, Miomir Kekmanovic, and the uh, fill-in player Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, 
And in Group B, Francis Tiafo, Ugo Humbert, Mikhail Emer, and Yannick Sinner. And if you run down these eight names, I recognize, you know, amongst the hardcore tennis fans, maybe they'll know everybody here, but for casual tennis fans, uh, there are a couple probably unfamiliar faces. The name that probably is standing out to everybody is Alex Diemenauer, who has won three titles this year and, and really should be the favorite. Yeah, Diemenauer and Tiafo are the only two ranked inside the top 50 at number 18 and, and 47, respectively. Uh, and so I'd be surprised if it wasn't the two of them at, at the end of the day, and Diemenauer in particular, the way he's been playing. But i, I got to be honest, this uh, next-gen label, uh, which they've really been pushing hard the last few years, it's kind of run its course for me um, because I feel like, you know, the two players we just mentioned, they're not next-gen anymore. They've arrived. Uh, Felix and Dennis, uh, Felix Ogie-Aliassime and, and Dennis Shapovalov were supposed to be playing, but neither one, due to uh, health and exhaustion, are, are going to be there. I think they would have piqued people's curiosity a little bit more, and not just because they're Canadian and we're the Canadian podcast here with Tennis Canada, but I, I just feel they would have brought up the uh, excitement level. But they're not really next-gen either. Those guys have arrived. Uh, the tagline is getting a little bit uh, overused. And yeah, some of these other guys, to me, it's almost like it's too soon. Like, uh, you know, what have they done to necessarily warrant this kind of hype either? So it, it's kind of a, a mix of players who no longer fit the billing and, and players who aren't quite yet there. And um, I, I don't know. I'm losing interest personally. I don't know how people are feeling overwhelmingly. Um, but uh, but for me, I think it's uh, maybe time to move on to some other marketing ploy from the uh, ATP Tour. That's certainly a fair critique, given the fact that how how seriously can they be taking the next gen ATP Finals if if Denis Shapovalov was quite comfortable to say like I'm I'm a little too tired to go and do this, and it is technically an exhibition. It's done in the different format where you play a best of five, but first to four games, and then you do the no let scoring. I believe though that might be changing for this season uh but you're right there are certainly unfamiliar faces here uh I think I, I will kind of have it on in the background this week, just out of curiosity, uh, to see a couple of names that I've been interested to watch. Yannick Sinner uh, being one of those names. He's he's just 18 years old and just recently cracked the top 100. And if we saw the progression from Felix Ojealiasim last year into this year, it was similar in a way, just sneaking into that top 100 and then really taking off the following year. So he's an interesting name. Francis Siafo, you wonder if he's here to kind of salvage his season because he actually has not played very well, really, since earlier on in the year, just 21 and 25 on the year. Uh, but then, you know, Miomir Kekmanovic, he's, he's a decent player. Ugo Humbert uh, provides a little pop. Kasper Ruh, more of a clay court specialist. Yeah, there's not really uh, the sexy names jumping off the page here to, to draw fans in. So it's going to be up to these guys to just, I think, play some, some great quality tennis uh, if they want to keep a fan base invested in this event. And, and can I just say for those listening that now we have it recorded that Ben said he's going to watch and keep track of this this weekend. And so I can take the weekend <laughs> off and, and get a pass because as you were mentioning and reminding me, I'd kind of forgotten about the different format too. I was kind of cringing when I heard that. So this one's all yours, buddy. And I look forward to your recap <laughs> next week. All right. All right. Well, I, I mean, it's not, it, it's pretty easy for me to follow along just at work with a, a TV above my head. I can just have it on the channel. So it's not, Done. you know, Done. yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, it, it will be happening um, probably for the best, as you mentioned, that we don't have either of the Canadians there. We need Felix healthy and rested to go for our Davis Cup finals in Madrid later this month. And we certainly need Dennis as well. So uh, that is why they're not there. And it is certainly the wise decision. More on Canadian tennis for a second consecutive week. Vashik Pospisil playing a challenger and for a second consecutive week, week hoisting a trophy. Uh, this one in Charlottesville last week came in Las Vegas. Uh, this time he defeated fellow Canadian Braden Schnur in the final 7-6, 3-6, 6-2. So really a dream result for uh, the Canadian contingency at this challenger in, in Charlottesville. And Vashik Pospisil making a big leap up again in the rankings. He's all the way to 153. And, and you know, we said months ago, given that he was recovering and returning from back surgery, uh, we wanted really for him to take it slowly. I could not have predicted uh, him just completely emerging in singles, playing such great tennis at the tail end of the year. Yeah, it's such positive news, and it's it's really unexpected. I mean, not only is he, you know, back to contending at certain events, I think he's playing some of the best tennis that we've seen from him in, in years in singles. So this is so encouraging, and it makes me wonder how much was that 
back injury sort of holding him back and hampering him. Uh, I think he, he said it was last October, so just over a year ago that it first began bothering him. But uh, that, that surgery that he elected to do and, and the time off to recuperate and whatnot has obviously done some wonders for him. Um, and, and when he came back in the summer, he had really tough draws, having to face, face Felix a couple of times, having to face and defeat uh, Hatchinov at the U.S. Open, which was terrific. Mm-hmm. And now back-to-back wins, like you said, at the challenger level, and he's pushing closer to the top 100. And I think, uh, you know, 2020 is going to be very positive for Vashik if he can start the year off along with all of his peers as opposed to coming in halfway through. I think a return to the top 100 is a no-brainer for him. Yeah, absolutely. I had someone comment actually on my Twitter because I relayed all the men's rankings and someone saying they've been watching Felix and wondering if he can get to the top 30 next year. I maybe want to pump the brakes on that. <laughs> uh, that might be a little bit extreme, but yeah, given the way he's playing, maybe maybe something like top 50 is certainly feasible. Uh, you know, he has reached a career high uh, of number 25. He's still, for now under the age of 30 and even if you were over the age of 30 that doesn't matter we've seen the longevity of players as of late uh, but even the way he competed uh, at the Shanghai Masters just a few weeks ago uh, getting to the round of 16 they're pushing Daniil Medvedev uh, certainly top 100 is absolutely uh, very feasible and in my mind likely and maybe something like top 50 is something we could expect also credit to Braden Schnur uh, reaching the final there that's a nice result for him and he will close the season inside the top 100 ranked 93rd right now so that's great news as well yeah that's terrific I think if you told him that at the start of 2019 he'd definitely sign up for that and that achievement and I really think we should keep an eye on Vashik at Davis Cup because I think potentially he may play a very vital role for Canada we've got Dennis locked in there as the number one single guy who knows about Milos Raonic and his health right now mm-hmm. and then Felix hasn't played a whole lot lately either I think Vashik is a, definitely a lock to go in doubles but who knows he may get uh, get called into action in singles as well and if he does given his record of late uh, I think he would be a very confident and difficult player for for many to have to face so let's uh, let's wait and see hopefully Milos is healthy because with that serve and uh, his pedigree, obviously, a, a great one-two combo with Dennis and singles. But I think Vashik could be, uh, you know, something special for Canada here and, and certainly potentially uh, be called into a bigger role than we might have anticipated originally. Yeah, that's definitely possible. And Frank Dancevich uh, was traveling with him uh, along these Challenger events. They posted a photo after his second victory in Charlottesville, uh, him and the coach, which was great. I will mention Milos Raonic uh, playing at the Paris Masters. Did get two matches in. He uh, defeated Cameron Norrie in the first round. And, uh, you know, fought tooth and nail with Dominic Team, who's obviously a fantastic uh, player, fifth seed there and fifth ranked overall. And uh, Raonic falling to him 6 7 7 Five, uh, six, four. So very, very close match there. We'll move on to uh, more women's tennis and tennis, local tennis in Toronto, because we had the Tevlin Challenger, which we had been talking about the previous week over at Aviva Center. And uh, Mike, you were down there for much of the week and covering uh, some fantastic action. Yeah, it's one of my favorite events and it's, uh, you know, off the mainstream and it's something that even I think a lot of tennis fans in Toronto still perhaps aren't uh, super aware of, but it is uh, like the hidden gem of tennis in this city. And once uh, the Rogers cup ends, I always say to myself, well, Hey, there's still the Tevlin to come. And that keeps me kind of going into this late stage of the tennis season. It was a wonderful uh, event again this year for those who were there in attendance. You're getting to see some great young Canadian talent that is up and coming. Uh, Leila Annie Fernandez was there. Uh, Francoise Banda, who is only 22 years old, was uh, was there as well. And then you've got a bunch of veteran players too mixed in, like uh, Kirsten Flipkins, who said that she's uh, trying to get her ranking back up to a spot where she doesn't have to qualify or go through quality, sorry, at the Australian Open in, in January. So it's a neat little hybrid mix of, of all kinds of players. And uh, I did get to sit down and chat with uh, Francoise about how her season has been an up-and-down season due to injuries. Uh, So why don't we give that a listen right now, and uh, we can discuss uh, in a few minutes. Here we are uh, listening to your interview with Francoise Abanda. Okay, so uh, I'm here with Francoise Abanda, and uh, thank you, Francoise, for joining us on Matchpoint Canada today. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask you, before we officially get started, but how many podcasts have you appeared as a guest for before? Uh, Not many. Not many nowadays with social media. 
becoming more popular, I guess, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, also, tell me, what is your preference? Because on Twitter, we see you're at Frankie as your, your name, your Twitter handle. Is it Francoise, Frankie? What do you prefer to be called? Well, my English American name is Frankie. But uh, when I'm home or, you know, people that speak French, I prefer to just say Francoise. But um, it's, I'm used to it. It's just, it's tough to pronounce for English people. So it's just to simplify it for us. Yeah. Okay, exactly. cool. Very good. So we're back at the Tevlin Challenger this year. Uh, a year ago you were here, but you weren't able to complete or, or to play your first round match because of injury. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, how are you feeling physically right now? And how are you doing with your game at the moment? Yeah, so this year I had a big shoulder injury, so I missed five to six months, so that was kind of tough, but I was able to play a little bit this summer, also in January earlier this year. Um, I'm playing some good tennis right now, so I'm happy to be able to compete. I just have to make sure I stay healthy to, to give myself better chances of going deeper and also playing more tournaments. How frustrating is it? I mean, you're only 22 years old, but uh, you've already had a bunch of injuries. It feels like you've been around for a lot longer than your age actually is. You must feel in some ways like a veteran, but yeah. how frustrating is that injury aspect when you just want to get on a roll and get your game to where you believe it can be? Yeah, it's, it's a bit, no, I mean, it's part of the game. Like, it's not frustrating, but I would say it's just part of the game. So I think you have to manage and prevent injuries as best as you can and for me like I said I had a shoulder problem and I just have to stay on top of it all the time but obviously I missed a lot of tournaments um, so obviously when you're not playing you can't really improve your ranking you're not defending your points so it doesn't help your ranking so I dropped a lot this year so I'm trying to play more tournaments try to get back uh, get my ranking back as uh, the best ranking I could have, no limits, so we'll see. And, and I mentioned you're 22 years old, but then at a tournament like this, you see younger Canadians, you know, 16, 17 yeah. year old Canadians who are getting their first crack at a tournament like this. Do you feel like a veteran in some ways on the Canadian tennis scene? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I'm now, the, I used to be the youngest all the time. Now I'm like the oldest, not the oldest, but <laughs> One of the, I'm considered to have a little bit of experience, I guess, so, um, but, you know, I, I still think I have a lot to learn, and there's still a lot of tournaments I haven't played, uh, like Dubai, uh, Madrid, Rome, like, I would love to play some of the WTA uh, tournaments, so, for me, like I said, I, I still have a big marge, and I, I still have a lot to play, and to do in tennis. So if we tag you on Twitter here, we should tag the Dubai tournament to try and get them uh, the wild card vibe going <laughs> for you, I guess. No, it's just an example, but there's so many tournaments I haven't played. Like, I haven't been to Asia in so long. A lot of tournaments I, I would want to play in Asia, you know, after the U.S. Open. I would love to do that swing. Uh, I mentioned Madrid, Rome, Dubai. Um, there's probably a lot more. So for me, I, I like, the fact that I haven't played them, it's still, like... I should go out there and play more, but it's just I had a lot of issues physically, but if I'm able to play, I would love to uh, play different tournaments because I played a lot in the U.S. this year because of my injuries. So, yeah. And you've told me in the past, I believe, that you're not the biggest flyer. You're not a big fan of, of traveling far distances, long, long journeys. Does that also play into your decisions to maybe go and do like the Asian swing in the fall? Or is that something you can get through and, and it's worth the, uh, the effort to get there? Yeah, no, honestly, the, the, the 20, in 2017, when I was almost top 100, I, we just forgot to enter me in the, Asians, the Asian tournaments after the U.S. Open, so it was just unfortunate, but I would have definitely gone because it's a great opportunity, good points. Um, so, yeah, for me, like, I, I just didn't have the opportunity to go, and as well as I don't have a coach right now, Hugo's helping me, um, works for Tennis Canada now so that helps but you know it's tough to go to Asia like by yourself you know it's it's good to have like a coach or like a team so I would say that played into it more so um, obviously when I play Toronto I have my my mom here um, Hugo is here with me if I were to go play Texas in the States 
I probably wouldn't get the same support. So, yeah. so that factors in too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Uh, here at the Tevlin, you played against Sasha Vickery in the first round, and then just a couple hours later, you teamed up in doubles together on the same yeah. side of the net. Does that happen often when you're playing sort of at this level, and, and is it awkward at all, or how do you guys handle that, having to go from being opponents to suddenly uh, teammates again after? Yeah, I think the prior to the matches, I don't, like, it's normal, but obviously the the, the morning of it, I try to focus and forget that I'm playing a friend. So, um, yeah, we signed up for doubles as well. So it could get a bit awkward, but for me, like we're used to playing it. We've played three times this year, so that's a lot within three months. So I guess it's part of the game, but she, I won the first time she beat me recently at the US Open, so. Reven revenge. Yeah, I'm happy to get a little <laughs> revenge, I guess. But no, overall, like, you know, it's it's tough to play a, a friend, and you know, on the better side, we won in doubles, so it's a good way to end the day, I guess. If if it weren't for tennis, what do you think you would be doing as a career or or with your life at this stage? <laughs> Ooh, good question. Um, <sighs> honestly, so many people so many people tell me, oh, you should model, you should. Uh, you're so tall, or some people tell me, oh, you look like a basketball player, <laughs> da da da. So, <laughs> I don't know, honestly, I, for sure I would do something in the public eye. Um, I think I like to perform, so probably not something in the office, no offense, <laughs> anybody listening. <laughs> but that's just for me, personally, I like to get out there and put myself out there and, and perform. So, probably something in the fashion world would uh, interest me or. Um, maybe another sport. Now, in terms of putting yourself out there and being in the public eye, part of that these days is obviously a presence on social media, Instagram, yeah. Twitter, all these kind of things. How's your relationship with social media these days? Uh, these days, I mean, I don't consider myself uh, one of the players that posts a lot. So, uh, yes, I have an account, Frankie uh, Abanda. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But for me... Yeah, I, I, I'm not very consistent with social media, but um, obviously after matches, sometimes you get bad messages, uh, people that bet on matches. So that's like one of the sides to it. But for me, I just like to stay updated, see what's going on. But for sure, sometimes it gets uh, overwhelming to see what everybody else is doing. And it's sometimes it can br bring people, uh, you know, kind of bad it puts you in a bad mood like because you're always comparing yourself and like this person is doing that so for me at the end of the day I just want to focus on myself and use social media you know a little bit so kind of like a love-hate relationship sometimes yeah. <laughs> in terms of your tennis you're you're ranked just inside the top 400 right now obviously missed time due to an injury which affected the ranking um, how close do you feel you are to getting back to your best level to getting back to how you were playing in 2017. Do you feel you're getting close to, to being back at that stage? Um, I think right now I'm playing not bad. It's just uh, too bad it's the end of the year. But yeah, I mean, I feel like in tennis, when you have that window, you have to take it in because you, you never know if you're gonna come back to that level. But for me, I'm still very uh, optimistic that I can uh, come back to top 100 for sure, but um, I just had a lot of um, um, issues outside of tennis, you know, like coaching, injuries, stuff like that. So it's motivating to know that like my game is there, but it's, I just have to sort out, you know, good scheduling, um, also find a good base for training and uh, yeah, stay consistent. But I think, um, next year if I can you know fix my shoulder I think I have good chances what are the plans for the off season are you looking forward to traveling vacation just resting friends and family what's uh, the uh, the off season plan for Frankie Abanda yeah for me I don't really vacation to be honest so I'd rather just stay home so my plan is to go back to Montreal after Toronto I might play one more tournament in, in the states uh, a challenger but yeah I don't plan on going anywhere um, 
as far as the off season, I think I'll go to Florida and train uh, like I do every year. Um, normally, Tennis Canada have a training camp. I don't know what's going to happen this year, but um, I don't think I'll be down there. Well, Frankie, thank you so much for taking the time with us thank today. You. We appreciate having you on the podcast. Thank and you. Uh, good luck with your health and your yeah. game moving forward. Thank you so much. Okay, merci. There you have it, Francois Abanda, Canadian tennis player, and a career high ranking of 111, which she achieved a couple of years ago. And, and it's funny to me that Abanda almost feels like a veteran on tour, and you kind of have to pinch yourself and remember she is just 22 years old. So uh, there is certainly a road and a good path for her to get her ranking back up as long as she stays healthy. Yeah, and she feels that she's still got the time and the opportunities to be able to do that and, and feels that it's within her capabilities. Uh, I was talking with tennis journalist Ed Kleiman, uh, who covers the Rogers Cup and was at the Tevlin as well, one of, I think, three of us that were there in attendance. And he says that uh, Francoise's serve has just never really been the same since this shoulder injury started bothering her a couple of years ago, that she's got a different service motion now and can't get the same kind of pop. And unfortunately for her, just the, the day after I spoke with her, uh, she had that singles and, and doubles victory in the same day, which she was really sort of riding a high about. But then the shoulder was bugging her the next day in warm-up. She said she wasn't sure how she was going to be able to get through the match. And uh, as it turned out, she, she had to withdraw after playing a set against uh, Indy DeVroom, who had won in Saguenay the week before. So a disappointing end to that event for Francoise. But uh, nice to sit down and, and chat with her. She's got a, a good sense of humor. I think she's been misunderstood a bunch in the past as well. But uh, I think there's still uh, lots of promise ahead if, and this is the, uh, the big if for, for all players, is if they can stay healthy. Yeah, you're right. Uh, misunderstood on social media. Who would have thunk? That, that never happens, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, we, we wish the best for Francois Abanda, especially recovering now that uh, we're coming to a close on the 2019 season and staying healthy. Uh, she is a player who was at one point the number one ranked Canadian woman uh, and plenty of ways to go for her, which I'm sure she can do if the health is there. Uh, a big name attracting, as you mentioned, Layla Annie Fernandez. Not a singles title here, but uh, did do very well in doubles, uh, getting to the finals with Melody Coyard. Uh, so that was nice to see. And, and we know Layla and, and her impressive talents. Uh, she's really been building on that throughout the year. Yeah, and I got to uh, speak with Layla a bit as well. And just, you know, such a level head on her shoulders and uh, really... She's, you know, happy with the progress she's made in 2019, but, but hungry for more, but very focused and very mature for her age. And uh, she's got a great little game out there, too. She can handle the power of some of these more experienced pros, throw it back at them. And, uh, you know, being a lefty adds another little mix into the game there for, for opponents and something different. And her and Melody uh, Collard uh, had uh, won uh, the doubles title in Saguenay the week before and now finals here at the Tevlin. So, you know, Layla's proven she's not just a singles player, and for Melody, also a wonderful opportunity to showcase her stuff in front of uh, fans, both in Quebec a week ago and, and now in Ontario. And uh, Layla Annie, while she was staying here in Toronto for the Tevlin, actually was billeted by Mike and Nicole Tevlin, the uh, two uh, founders of, obviously, their namesake Challenger event. And I got to speak with uh, Mike just earlier this evening about the growth of the Tevlin Challenger and how important it is in the development of our young Canadian players. So uh, here we go, two Tevlin-related interviews for this week. Why don't we give this one a listen as well? So Mike, tell me first of all, how does one start a tennis tournament and what was the mindset for you and your wife Nicole when you began this venture 14 years ago? Well, the funny thing, Mike, is that we went to Tennis Canada probably 15 or 16 years ago. I had just sold my business with uh, some partners and had come into a little bit of money in our lives that we weren't used to having. And we were already big tennis fans with kids that were playing, etc. And um, I asked Tennis Canada, could we get involved? Could we help them out? And so we made a donation. They were pretty happy that someone came to them for a change as opposed to the other way around. I'll bet. And uh, so we said to them, what would be the best way to help? Uh, developed players in this country and they came up with a few ideas but they, one of them they said would be really helpful would be if we could put a piece of what we are going to give on an annual basis to a challenger tournament and they explained to us why it's good for Canadian players the opportunities that they have and maybe they can add another one eventually and it'll make it a, 
a great sort of dual stop on the tour. And uh, that's really how it got started. Can you talk a bit about how the event then has uh, evolved since that time uh, in terms of either the field of players that it attracts or the, the way that it's uh, really a developing ground now for our young Canadian players, as you alluded to? Sure. Well, it started off as a 25K tournament, and um, it was good. And we got some good players, and we had some good winners. You know, uh, Alexandra Wozniak won the first one. Um, we had uh, Sabine Lasicki win, and I can't remember if Lasicki's might have actually been when it, it turned into a 60, but she had been there the year before when I think it was still a 25. And it, it, it just sort of grew. The, the players wanted to come. It made sense for them on their journey. Uh, at the time, I think there was a tournament in California right afterwards, so coming from Europe worked, and, and we figured if we could boost up the uh, funding a little bit, we might attract even more players and, and maybe even get some more Canadians in there. And, uh, yeah, it worked out real well, and we've had so many great Canadian results. Um, you know, we've had we've had Stephanie Dubois and Gabrielle Dabrowski, especially Gabby, uh, Fitchman, Sharon Fitchman, um, uh, Maria Peltier, we've had so many players win, you know, let's not forget about Jeannie Bouchard, win this tournament in the singles and or the doubles. Uh, so I think it, I think it was, a, it was a great idea that Tennis Canada had, they gave to us, and uh, I'm really glad we ran with it. You, you just covered all of the uh, great Canadian players you've had in the past there. Who do you and Nicole have your eye on among the, uh, the next wave of young Canadian talent that's coming through that uh, maybe tennis fans, casual tennis fans, should uh, sort of uh, you know, keep a, a, an ear open for? Well, that's a great question. I, um, I'm really excited about Leila Annie Fernandez. Um, we got to know Leila last week a little bit more. She stayed with us, and she's a super kid. She's 17, just turned 17. I believe she's around 200 in the world, which will mean she'll probably get into the volleys uh, in Melbourne. She is outstanding. She's a great kid, but more than anything, she's a great player. She's not a huge girl, but seems like there are a lot of uh, young ladies on tour right now that are doing well that are not huge. And uh, plays a really, really aggressive, smart game and moves really well. So I'd watch out for Layla. And this week, it was fun to see Layla play doubles with a girl named Melody Collard from Gatineau. And Melanie is a very tall girl. I'm not even sure she's done growing yet. She's 16 years old. She plays doubles like a guy. Um, great gene pool. Mom, national volleyball player. Dad, pro baseball player. Brother, big-time D1 tennis player who I think she had to try and keep up with her whole life. So watch out for Melody. I don't think too many people have heard about her. And uh, we can't forget, of course, that uh, we had Bianca Andreescu playing in the event uh, the past couple of years, 2017, 2018. And boy, she's really gone uh, to historic heights with Canadian tennis over the past year. Well, what's it like to have seen her play the Tevlin Challenger and then achieve such greatness in such a short period of time? You know, it's been a lot of fun getting to know Bianca over the years at our tournament. I think one year she was really a kid, maybe 14 or 15 trying to qualify for the tournament and then of course last year um she was hurting last year you know she hadn't played since Wimbledon but she played the challenge she played the week before in Saguenay as well I think uh did quite well as well as she could based on a sore back and all of, a few other little things that I think were troubling her but you know we all sat around we watched Bianca's game and I think all of us would like to say yeah I knew Bianca was going to be the best <laughs> player in the world yeah but we all knew she was going to be good she was doing some things differently than the other girls, and she still is. But um, maybe being this good this fast probably took us all a little bit by surprise. Uh, I couldn't be happier because I, I really believe Bianca is one of the true great people in the sport. And pretty soon, all the girls are going to uh, want to start playing like Bianca. It, she's, she's the new women's tennis player, in my opinion. Yeah, we absolutely agree with you on that point there. Um, Mike, before we wrap up, is there uh, anyone you want to mention who deserves any special recognition for uh, behind-the-scenes work into the event? And uh, also, how happy were you with the way that, uh, that this year's tournament played out? Well, the, the, the first answer to that is um, Ryan Borson. Uh, he's a young guy, and Ryan took over from Gavin quite some time ago. Uh, Gavin Ziv, I think, gave Ryan the reins, and, and Ryan has helped him for a few years, and he said, you run with it, and Ryan runs it seamlessly. Uh, you know, he, he, he does these things that are beyond his years, in my opinion, and he does them with a smile on his face. And I think, uh, you know, one of the reasons we have such good fields is probably because
because Ryan is so nice to these young ladies and, and gets to know them and, and treats them well. And, and then aside from Ryan, uh, the volunteers at a 60K Challenger, um, they certainly don't get this in most tournaments they go to, these girls. The volunteers are outstanding. The same people you see at the Rogers Cup are working this thing, and they work it tirelessly. We, you know, we don't need as many of them. It goes all the way from from the drivers to the ladies working the desk uh, to the to the ball boys. It's it's just incredible. And if Tennis Canada um, should take uh, credit for anything, it's that they've developed this pool of volunteers over the years that love the game and love to contribute to the game. And I, I think it's fantastic, and they should always be noted. I think after a tournament like this. Yeah, well said. I, I know I always feel a little bit of a letdown when the Rogers Cup ends, but then I know I've got the Tevlin Challenger to look forward to. And and like you said, you know, part of what makes it so great is it's the same people behind the scenes, the volunteers that uh, go out of their way. And, and I know all the players I talked to this week had nothing but positives to say about the people you've got uh, working there. So uh, well done. And uh, you, you must be happy. You must be happy with how the week played out there this uh, this past few days. If I could have one little thing, it would be, Nicole and I and our family have been going to the Rogers Cup now for probably 20 years, and we've got great seats, and we're there all week long. Before we retired, we used to take a week off and go. Um, but I'm not kidding you when I say I probably enjoy the Challenger at least as much, if not more. Uh, really intimate setting. You get to know the players. These are players. Every single one of them has an interesting story. You know, some are, some are the ones on the ride. Some are the ones trying to hang in there and qualify again for Australia. Some of them are, maybe once or twice we've had one that's had a child and they're making a comeback. Uh, the stories are, if anything, are more interesting than they are on the WPA Tour. So, yeah, we're excited to do this. We hope we can do it a long time into the future. Yeah, Ben and I on the show always call it kind of Toronto's hidden gem of tennis because uh, sure. I think until you discover it, you, you don't really realize how special it is and just the intimacy of it and how close you get with the players. It provides something that you can't get at a tournament the size of the Rogers Cup, and I, I encourage Absolutely. I encourage everyone to come out and, and check it out in, in next year's edition. But uh, to wrap up on this year, uh, your your final parting thoughts on the uh, the tennis we just saw this past week? Uh, it was the best we've seen for sure. Every year there's been a great player, uh, like I said, a Lissicky or a Bouchard or a Laru, Georgie, Camilla Georgie won this, but this year there were more great players. There were so The level of women's tennis, they're attempting to get to the next level and improve, I don't know how many fold, but it's, it's a drastic change in the last five or six years. Uh, we've got lots of great women's tennis to look forward to in the coming year. Well said. Hey, Mike, thank you, and, and thanks to your wife, Nicole, for all that you do uh, behind the scenes and promoting the sport here in Canada, and uh, well well done on a, another fantastic event this year. Mike, it's a real pleasure for us, trust me. Take care. There you have it, Mike Tevlin, uh, who co-founded the Tevlin Challenger 14 years ago with his wife, Nicole, and it has been a successful event in terms of names. It's uh, certainly attracted over the years, and Kirsten Flipkin's another great great example uh, this season and coming in as the number two seed, and she's a veteran player and former top 25 and 33 years old, so you do get that great mix uh, of youth and and veteran players uh, trying to land their place uh, and find their game, or maybe they're building back their ranking, but uh, it is really a great kind of like local event in Toronto. I, I really enjoy Mike's enthusiasm for the event. And it's, it's not just like, you know, being biased because he's put the thing together, but you can tell he's just an excited tennis enthusiast. And he was naming off previous Canadian champions like Alex uh, Wozniak mm-hmm. and Jeannie Bouchard, Gabby Dabrowski, Sharon Fishman in, in doubles. And, you know, maybe we'll see Leila Annie Fernandez's name on the uh, trophy at some point in the future. Uh, Bianca didn't ever add her name to it, but look what she's done. It's just a great springboard, I think, for Canadian athletes. It gives them the chance to uh, play against some bigger name players, develop their confidence, uh, get a chance for their friends and family to come out and, and watch them as well. And so uh, I, I certainly encourage anyone who wasn't able to make it this year to go check it out next year. You know, aside from the fact it's fantastic tennis, it's all free, folks. It's absolutely free, and you're sitting courtside. So in terms of bang for your buck, you can't beat the Tevlin Challenger, and Mike and Nicole are always there, and they're always happy to chat. And uh, 
you know, people are very, very approachable, not just the organizers, but the players themselves. Uh, we had Kennedy Schaefer as a guest a week ago, and, and she was playing there again this year, her third year in a row. And, uh, and that all sparked by just a, a happenstance conversation courtside uh, the first time I saw her playing. So uh, it really shows the human element to the players. And it's an event that I will be at uh, every year. It's always marked on my calendar. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic access to, to these players. Uh, those interested in some tennis gossip and uh, wanting to know the know-how, I want to mention that uh, Denis Shapovalov's girlfriend was playing uh, this past week at the Tevlin Challenger. Miriam uh, Borkland of Sweden was competing as well, and she lost to eventual winner of the title, Francesca Di Lorenzo. So maybe she's another player to watch, and uh, maybe that's a relationship where those two can uh, help build up each other's games. Uh, Bjorklund, 21 years old, and she's ranked around 300 right now. So uh, that might be a name to watch for. You never know. I like seeing tennis player relationships, and I don't know if anyone else feels the same way. Like, you know, Jem's life between uh, Lena Svitolina and Gael Mofis. It's just fun to see tennis players bringing different things out from one another. And, you know, this isn't new. We used to have, you know, Chrissy Everett, and uh, I believe it was Jimmy Connors back in the day. So, it's kind of interesting to uh, to pay attention to and, and to see how they can influence each other's games. And for Chapo, I mean, this Swedish connection obviously is, is working for him well because he won his first ever ATP title in Stockholm. So uh, I think it's kind of cool. And, and uh, for Bjorklund, she was playing some great tennis. Unfortunately, her shoulder acted up in her last match, and that caused her to go down in three tough sets. But yeah, she looks like a promising up-and-coming uh, potential player for the Swedish Tennis Federation, and it was uh, cool to see her here in Toronto. No chapeau uh, this time, although he has made appearances at the Tevlin in the past. But uh, again, a great uh, crew of uh, female uh, tennis players and uh, an event that uh, is very memorable for us. And our photographer, I should say, Nina Channon, who uh, helped us out at the Rogers Cup this year with some great photos. She was uh, brought on by Tennis Canada to cover the Tevlin. So you've probably seen her photos that we've been retweeting and uh, Ben maybe we can plug her Twitter and Instagram as well because she's done some uh, great stuff for us this year yeah absolutely we've uh, had the privilege of using a handful of our photos on our Instagram page Uh, her Twitter isn't too active yet she just started there but uh, you can find her on Twitter at photo Nina which is N-E-E-N-A and uh, I'm I'm just trying to track her Twitter uh, or her Matchpoint Canada uh, sorry not her Matchpoint Canada Instagram Instagram account uh, which is Nina Channon photography so Nina E-E-N-A Channon C-H-A-N-N-A-N photography so you can find all her work there as well she's much more active on Instagram you can find us on Instagram as well uh, under the name Matchpoint Canada as uh, we have a nice following building there, which is uh, great to see. And we had a lot of great photos from the Tevlin Challenger, which we thank you, Mike, for them. And we thank Nina as well. And we have a couple winners uh, to announce as well for our last week's giveaway, which was a couple of uh, Canadian racket dampeners, basically a Canadian flag, which you can stick at the bottom of your tennis racket. And if you've watched Bianca Andrescu this year, you know that she's had them on her racket. She didn't have them on while she was playing in Shenzhen, but she did have them on for some photo ops down there. Uh, and other Canadian players as well. Uh, Jada Bowie, who was at the Tevlin Challenger, had one on her racket this week here in Toronto. And so thanks for interacting with us. Thanks for the uh, uh, support. And we will have more of those in the future, thanks to Justin Hummel and uh, Canadian uh, Dampeners. And this week, our winners, oddly enough, they both have the same first name. We've got Karen Fowler and Karen Thorpe. So congratulations. We will be in touch and get those mailed out to you so you can have them on your tennis racket as you hit the court. Terrific. Uh, So congrats to our winners there. We will continue on as the season uh, continues on, but there's not that much left. And we have some fun, uh, exciting changes coming to the podcast that we will share with our listeners next week, I believe. Oh, yeah, we do have some big news coming up. I wanted we wanted to drop it this week, but we're going to just sort of like build the hype a little bit. But it's been a great (laughs) year for you and me. I mean, we're almost at the quarter century mark of episodes here as we go to number 24 next week mm-hmm. and we will drop our, our big news as we continue to progress and grow and much like tennis players who are trying to hone their skills and practice out of competition we put in quite a bit of work outside of our uh, weekly episodes so we we appreciate the listeners the retweets the support that we've uh, received which has been very positive and uh, just want you to know we're having a heck of a good time doing this and uh, and more good things in store Yes, absolutely. Thanks uh, for the kind words and thanks to all our listeners. As Mike mentioned, you've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.
Cause now 